Acts in chapter 17, it's really good to be here with you today. The book of Acts, chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, in his travels, went to many places, met many different types of people. Uh, all of them had the same problems, though. And so he tried to address and help people. Uh, every culture that he went to, he said, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some or win some. And he, he did, but he gave the gospel to all in every place that he went. But we're in Acts chapter 17. And what we're going to do this morning is read verses 15 through 23 all together. Oh, well, we'll read these responsively, but I'll ask that we all stand. Acts chapter 17 and verse 15. I will begin and then we will read responsively. It says, They that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him." Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else, either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. So we're going to speak on this passage today. I'm just going to speak on the God of truth. You notice they had many gods in this situation, but He's the God of truth. And we'll preach on this this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would settle our hearts to listen to the message, to consider. We'll hear your voice. We'll yield to thy word. We'll yield to thy spirit. We'll humble ourselves before thee now. And ask that thou do a work in our hearts. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you. So, philosophy. <clears throat> the word philosophy. Philosophy, the study of the processes governing thought and conduct. Why I do what I do. You know, you could say, hey, this is my philosophy. It could be in a certain area of life. Or it could be life in general. This is my philosophy. How I see it. You know, and each person has one. We do. 
It, it governs how you view the world. How you view life. How you view God. How you function within this world. Philosophy. So most of Paul's ministry, he dealt with religious people. Not philosophers. Religious people. He, he dealt with the Jews. He wanted his own people to be saved so so bad. He said, I'd be willing to be accursed myself so my own people could be saved. Paul had such a heart. He said, I'd be willing to go to hell so that many, many could go to heaven. We know it's up to the individual. Paul could not do that. It was his hope and wish. But Paul's ministry... He's to those who got their view from a deity for the most part. A deity. A God. All right. Someone that they looked at as a God. Now, obviously, the Jews came first. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, the Bible says, that he would preach. The God of Israel. The one true God. The only one God. Or the Gentiles and all their various forms of gods and their various beliefs. And some had so, you know, so there's some religions that have hundreds of gods and deities that they believe in. There's only one true God. When Paul came to Athens, he found himself in a very unique situation here. It's a little different with these men. They're philosophers. They're primarily uh, philosophic in their way, not religious in their tone. And it says that the Greeks sought knowledge. That's what they wanted. They sought knowledge that would explain their existence. Why am I here? How did I get here? How can I best explore how I got here? How can I discover who I really am? And they want to do this without a God involved. Without a Creator. So the Apostle Paul he finds himself in this place called Athens, Greece, on top of a, a, it's a hill called Mars Hill. You know, you can go there today and see it. If you want to travel over to Greece, you can see Mars Hill. You can see the Areopagus, the great temple that they had there to Mars, who's the god of war to the Greeks. He had a name in, in, uh, to the Romans named Ares. He was the god of war. They had the huge temple with the huge columns. You know, if you think about ancient Greece and these giant rock columns that go up, the most iconic one is the Pantheon. Right here on Areopagus Hill, Mars Hill, he finds himself there. It says they pulled him up there to the top of this hill wanting to know, this man's preaching some strange things here that we don't hear anywhere else. What new doctrine is this? He's preaching this Jesus and one who rose from the dead. It's amazing what he, we need to hear about this. You know, this is a religious ground, but it's a very philosophical ground on top of that. You know, they had every type of thought come this way. All the different various fields of thought. You know, Greeks, they prided themselves on knowledge, on understanding the human psyche. They thought they had it down. They thought they had the pinnacle of civilization. Various fields of thought. Sundry ideas of man's origin and destiny. How to order their life accordingly. How to govern humanity. How all these things took place. And Mars Hill, the Areopagus, epitomized this whole dream of a civilization that would do this. Now, 
You know, this, this uh, court, I want you, every high court, all the great civilizations in the world, in the Western world, try to pattern their buildings after this Areopagus. Our Supreme Court here in America tries to look like that. Our Senate, our House of Representatives, they based it on the ancient Greek architecture. How amazing this is. They wanted to pattern their life after the Greeks. Not after the God of Israel with His temple. No. They wanted their temple to be patterned after Mars, the God of war. And when it was here at the Aragapis that where men met, had discourse, you know, this is where they'd go to the tent. This is where they'd go and debate. This is where they would go and gossip. This is where they would go and make all their, their famous speeches, fair words and fair speeches to men. Famous philosophers stood on this hill. Probably the only ones we would know. <laughs> they stood on this hill and gave their thoughts. What's interesting about this place, Areopagus, it's where philosophy, religion, science all met together. All forms of thought derived here. Every new thought was considered. We just read on this. You know, if you look in Acts 17, verse 18, this is the whole reason they even listened to Paul. They were wanting something new. They were looking for something new. And it says certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. They came to him and they said, we want to hear what this babbler is saying. He's saying a lot. We want to know. You seem to be setting forth some new strange doctrine that we've never heard and we don't understand it, but we want to know more. You know, they're always searching for a cutting edge answer to man's perpetual problem, which is sin, woe, and misery. A setter forth of strange gods. You know, I could often it'd be said in, in Athens, hey, let's go on up to Mars Hill. It's, up above, it's the highest point of the city. Let's go up there and see what's going on today. Maybe somebody's got some new thing. Maybe somebody's invented something new. Maybe somebody's come up with some new thought to help us figure out this mess we're in. Let's go up, see if there's any gossip, any news. Let's go to Mars Hill. Now, Mars Hill is very unique. It invited diversity. That's why they listened to Paul. They invited all the diverse thoughts and views and ways that humanity came up with. You know, it was here that the scientists could meet with the athlete and then talk to the intellectual and talk to the scholar and then talk to the theologian and the religious ruler of the day all together. And they were seekers. They were always on a perpetual search to learn something new. Everyone could have some type of interest in what took place up at Areopagus. All news, all gossip, all advancement took place, went through Mars Hill. And in all thoughts were available and accepted, even religions. Now, uh, Paul's amazing. He, he saw something. He's going to pattern his whole message that day after something he saw. He said, as I was walking through, up the hill possibly, 
I was looking at all your shrines to all your gods. They had a, god, they had a shrine or a, or a little temple uh, or an altar to every god. He said, I saw something interesting. Over here in a little obscure section, I saw a little shrine that says to the unknown god. This is the one I want to tell you about. Because you don't know who he is. You know of all these others. I want you to hear the truth. You know, these gods, you think about it. If you ever followed, if you ever looked at Greek mythology, Roman mythology, European mythology, and all these gods, they had a shrine to every one of them. The, the major higher gods that dwelt in the heavens, the demigods, the titans, the Nephilim, all these men, the great men of the earth, they, they prayed to people that had passed on. We know that the Bible says you're not to do these things. None of them were excluded from a shrine to them. Some type of honor. There was a fear though. What if we left one out? What if we're missing one? We better make one last one here that says to the unknown God because we don't know who he is. And amazing, God sent Paul to tell them who they missed. Consider these men of Athens for a minute before we get to Paul. You know, they, to me, they resemble somebody else I know. It's called the United States of America. The Americans. You know, we pattern our life after these people. And all the different philosophy. You know, there's two main branches of thought uh, in philosophy. Uh, the, and then all of them the other branch off of this. The first one, and he called them the Epicureans here in verse 18. The Epicureans. You know what the Epicureans believed? That pure truth can never be found. The real naked truth is not available because it does not exist. The only thing that can be true is what I've experienced in my own life. That's what Epicureanism is. It has another way, a word, a name for it, empiricism. Empiricism is a philosophy now listen to this, that the only knowledge a person can have is by experience only. I only know what I've experienced and what I've learned the hard way. You can try to teach me something, but if I didn't experience it, then I don't know it to be truth. It argues that the only knowledge a human can have is a posteriori knowledge, one that comes through experience alone. So what this does is, think about this, it discounts the only knowledge humans can possibly have is this. It discounts any innate ideas or tendencies from birth. The conscience. We talked about that yesterday. They don't believe in the conscience, in the individuality of soul. It also discounts any knowledge that has not been learned by experience. If you didn't experience it for yourself, you don't know it. This is where the old lines say, you don't know what you're missing. You've never tried it. Try it. You'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. Eat of the fruit, Eve. You'll be just like all the other gods. You will be one of them. Personal history is paramount. It's exclusive. That's all they will take. What I see and know is all that matters. It derives its acceptance of truth on individual human experience. You know... Uh, people will take experience over truth every time. 
And I want you to know something. I try to tell you to do the opposite. Believe the truth of the Bible over human experience every time. I got in an argument with a woman once when I was a very young man down in Corpus. I, some strange way, got involved with a, a, a young woman who was, had a devil. She was possessed by a devil. Well, I, I got that out of her. That devil left that woman. And this woman came to me later and, and, and thought that was the most... She said, hey, I'm an exorcist. I said, you are? She said, oh yeah, I got the gift. I can heal. I can cast... A, I said, wait, she said, you're obviously one of us. And I said, why? Because I did this one time that makes me an exorcist? We know what the Bible teaches. The sign gifts are gone. I said, woman, I prayed for people many times and, and, and uh, God answered my prayer. I prayed for people and laid hands and God healed them. Does that make me a, uh, an apostle? Does that make me... Have all the gifts? No. These are one-time things that God did in the dispensation of grace for His will to get done. I don't count myself as an exorcist because I've dealt with some people with evil uh, possessed spirits. No. And, but she, she thought she was one. She said, you can't deny it. I said, well, the Bible does. Am I going to believe what you're telling me or what God said? Am I going to believe what I saw with my own eyes? Or am I going to believe what God said? I'm strange at this. You know, if we had a statue right here, if that flag started talking, I'd believe this over that any day. I'd believe God's Word over the sight of the eyes or the hearing of the ears, some strange phenomenon, every single time. We are people of faith. We're people of the book. We're not empiricists. We're not Epicureans. I'm not a prophet. No, I'm a preacher. God might use me to prophesy on a rare occasion. God might use me to help somebody and get a healing. That's, no, the sign gifts are done away with long, long ago. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm not a philosopher. I believe the truth of the Bible. I'm not an Epicurean. I'm not. An empiricist. This philosophy. You know what Epicureanism is? This is Americans right here. Think about this. Eat, drink, and be merry. Because you don't know if tomorrow you're going to die or not. Pleasure and enjoyment are top priority. You know why? Experience. Human experience. I only, can, I only know what I can experience. So they try to experience all that they can. They're an Epicurean. They live for trips, meals, movies, weekends, buys, bargains, electronics, fashions. You know, Epicureans are always looking for the new trend. You know what, almost, don't get mad at Somebody that, follows, that watches that TikTok stuff, they're an Epicurean. They want to see the next one out. They're looking for something that they hadn't seen before. Wonder what this babbler's going to say. And half the time it's just some silly, stupid dance. You didn't know I knew that, did you? <laughs> I did, and he told me. You know, think about this. To the Epicurean, pleasure's value. Pleasure is value. It's experience. You know, people would say, hey, I found my way. This is what I've gone through in my life. This is how... 
These are my experiences of life. This is how I view life right here. And it works for me. That's Epicureanism. They have nothing to base their life on. Their foundation of truth. After all I've been through, I know the way. I've lived it. Well, you can know the truth without living it. It's called the Bible. Okay? Americans follow Epicurean pursuit. Always wanting more, learning more, seeing more, feeling more, tasting more. James 3.15 says that this wisdom that you seek in the world descendeth not from above. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish. What does that mean? It's, it's satanic in its origin. It's empiricism. It's all sensual. It's experienced. You see what? I experienced it with my senses. I have a memory of what happened to me whenever, long ago. And you learn by trying, you learn by doing. That's forbidden knowledge, by the way. It's the devilish way of life. That's why we teach our young people, don't get caught up in drugs and alcohol. You don't need to know. Best to never know. I can guarantee you this. You ask anybody, there may be a few, in this room that's never touched it. They're not hurting in life. They're not lacking. They're probably wiser for not doing so because this is God's way. Wisdom from above, which is God's wisdom. You get it before you experience it. Amazing. You get it by faith. Faith is believing without experiencing it yet, and then you will experience it, but you got it first before you experienced it. The world's way is you experience it, and then you happen to know it, and that becomes your way of life. Well, what if it's a deceptive way? Faith is responding to truth. Now, I have to hurry here and talk about this second group called the Stoics. Now, which one would you be more likened to be? Uh, some of the first one appeals to a lot of people. I'm an Epicurean. The second one is the Stoic. Now, the Stoic is a fatalist. They suppress their feelings. They, don't, they hold back all expression of any type. They're not go, trying to grow and learn and expand. They're just accepting. They don't express self. They have no ambition to explore experience. They don't even have a sense of destiny about them. They just accept life for what it is. It's life. This is life. It's called fatalism. They take life as it comes and they accept it. You know, some people just have this philosophy. Hey, man, it's, it's the old, uh, I got a tough upper lip. I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take it. I have discipline. I'm just going to have character. I'm just going to put up with life. It doesn't give me much. I'm just going to take it, though. That's the Stoic. You know, the philosophy of the Stoic would adhere to this uh, this doctrine of existentialism. So the first one is an empiricist. The second one is existentialist. And what does that mean? It's based on nihilism. Now nihilism says there's no existence of a pure base of truth. A nihilist does not believe there's such a thing as truth. You can't find it anywhere. So the Stoic patterns his life after this. No basis of morality, no basis of truth, no basis, true basis of knowledge. Think about this. Uh, it's pessimism. You know a person who's a constant pessimist? They're, they are 
a stoic. But you know the person that's the glass half empty person on everything in life? That's the stoic. They hold that each man exists in an individual, in a purposeless universe. There's no reason for why we're here. There's no purpose for why we're here. In other words, you're not even supposed to be here to, an, uh, to a stoic. And they would say, now, you know, I, I looked this up. We're not, we must just oppose our hostile environment with free will and determination and make it through till the end. It's a form of nothingness. I talked to an atheist once. He says, oh, I'm an atheist. I said, you are not. He says, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. You deceived yourself into thinking you're one. The fool said in his heart, there is no God, but you're not an atheist. I said, so what you're telling me is you don't really, you're an uh-oh. You're just a mistake. You don't even, you're not even supposed to be here. So why are you here? Well, I'm just living. I'm just living and then I'll die. Well, isn't that a sad existence? To believe that there's no true purpose for you to be in on this earth? That this came from ancient Greece. I'll just live until I die. I won't expect much out of life. won't try to get much out of my life. I'll live until I die. On the other hand, the other one's saying, I'm going to die. You only live once. I've got to live it up until I die. Those are the two main philosophies. It's so sad. You know, Paul saw this and I must hurry. And he said, I have to help these people understand the truth. He said, let me tell you something about the... real." He says, I want to say something to you. It's all found in verses 21 through 23. He says, number one, you're too superstitious. You believe too many weird things instead of the one main thing. Number two, you're too newsy. You always wanted to know what the news is. Number three, you're too agnostic. You don't know anything, you even admit it. And ag agnostic means I know nothing about nothing. Number three, you're ignorant. Because you don't even know the unknown God. He said, why don't you let me right now, you're ever learning but never come to the knowledge of the truth, let me teach you who this unknown God is. You're trying to worship Him, but you don't even know who He is. Existentialism and empiricism lead the way. And men keep learning more, knowing more, experiencing more, never come to the knowledge of the truth, ignorant of the truth. Paul says, I'm going to respond to this madness. You know, this is madness I'm talking here. I will respond by telling you who this unknown God is. He says, let me just tell you the truth. How simple is this? He's going to appeal by logic. He's going to appeal by faith. This is what he's going to say. Number one, there had to be an originator to all creation. There was a creator. You have to expect and admit God, there's something, a higher form or a God created all things. That's what he tells them right here. God made the world and all things therein. All things. That means He made you. The Bible says every person is a direct creation of God. And by the way, a lone creator. Not God who made all things. Right there in verse 24, God made the world and all things therein. That's the truth. Accept it. 
I'm a created being. There's a creator. I'm not an uh-oh. I'm not here on an accident. I didn't come off a dust particle out in the middle of the universe somewhere. No. I'm a living soul created by God Almighty. Number two, he tells them, give you another truth here. This is the solid truth. God does not live in temples on earth, cities on earth, countries on earth. God doesn't even live on earth. God lives in heaven. He tells them, God, we live in God. He doesn't live with us. God is so vast, the universe is contained in Him. He says in Jeremiah 23, 24, Behold, I fill heaven and earth. God's Spirit is everywhere. We are contained in Him. This is the true God, the Creator. Then he tells them in verse 25, He gives life and breath to all things. God is the giver of life. No uh-oh, no mistake, God. God made all men. And then in verse 26, he says, God chose where all men lived on the face of the earth. Why did we end up where we ended up? God chose that when He scattered the nations. And then he tells them in verse 27 that God can be seen if you'll look for Him in creation. He's basically saying, if you just listen to me and look around, you'll know I'm telling you the truth. This is not philosophy. This is truth. See, God allowed... Let's look at this. This is so amazing to me. Please take a look in verse 30. We won't be much longer. It says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. See, He allowed them to be ignorant for a while. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see that? Now that something's changed. Now there's one truth. You must repent. You must accept it. You must believe it. Because it says in verse 31, He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He had ordained, Jesus Christ, whereof He had given assurance to all men that He had raised Him from the dead. They were so enthralled with the raising of the dead. Jesus came and died for sin. You know, the other thing is, man's main problem is sin. How am I going to get over this? God sent His Son. You know, before, all these things that you read about in uh, in all the ancient uh, societies. God winked at that. We don't understand it. He allowed them to do that. But the true God stayed with the Jews, Israel. God said, now that His Son has died on the cross, I'm not winking at this anymore. I'm not letting you be a philosopher anymore. I'm not letting you say there's no truth. I'm not letting you say there's no reason to live. I'm telling you now, there is a reason to live. It's to get saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and accept Him as the one true God. The way, the truth, and the life, the Bible says. Our sins were paid for on Calvary. And He rose from the dead. Wow, God's drawing the line. I'm not winking at it anymore. The strongest words in the... One of the strongest... I command all men everywhere to repent. Verse 30. God will save or God will judge. So no more need to seek truth. No need to try to experience something for yourself. No need to hope. 
No need to live for pleasure and enjoyment. No longer is there hopelessness, despair, and nothingness, and purposelessness. There's eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. And he's telling them, that, he's saying, I'm telling you, this is the true God. Not only did he make you, he came to save you. He died for you. And then he rose from the dead so that we should all be saved.